Well, if you have your Bibles uh, this morning, we're going to be getting, beginning a new series called What Jesus Said. Now, uh, this title uh, is actually uh, from uh, uh, something that I overheard uh, one of my children uh, saying, and I won't throw her totally under the bus by just saying her name, but she might be named after a president, a really, really good one. So you guys will figure that out. Uh, and, and so when someone says something uh, kind of snarky, kind of sharp, kind of funny, uh, you know, uh, I, I've heard her say this. She says, uh, what she said, you know, and it's just kind of a funny thing. Uh, but um, it's a way of saying, I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's true. That's funny. That's, I agree with that. Um, Today, we are facing a moment where we need to know what Jesus has said. Jesus is the center point of all theology. He is God's perfect expression of theology. That means the way that we approach God, the way we know God, the way we walk with God, Jesus is the center. And um, uh, we are living in uh, crazy days. We need to know what Jesus has said. And you say, why is it really important that we know what Jesus said? Because what he said is under attack. Make no mistake that part of the last day's plan of the enemy is to, is to take the word of God and to make it just a word of a religious man from a few thousand years ago. To make it something that it's not. This is the word of God. I mean, I'll prove it to you. Why in the world, in a time of racial tension, when there's racial tension, are they burning Bibles publicly in Portland? Why? Why is that happening? Why don't we don't why don't, why don't we why don't we even know that? And here's why: because there's a spirit that is going on that says this: that says there is no God. Man is the only God, and if we're the only God, then we make the rules. We get to determine how we live, and that's why there, there's the burning of Bibles that's happening in this nation. And so, church, here's what we need to get armed with. We talked about it for a few weeks. These are, this is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 4. Remember this? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we need to know what Jesus said. And, and for weeks going uh, into the future here, we're going to answer what Jesus said about, and we're going to just kind of uh, fill in the blank there. And today I'm going to speak to you a message called What Jesus Said First. What Jesus Said First. Now you need to understand that when it comes to what Jesus said, that there is a nature to his words. There is a nature to the words that he speaks. And in John chapter 6, verse 63 he said these words, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. What Jesus said is spirit and life. So if somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God goes and reads the Bible, they, they're just, they're like, oh man, I don't understand what this thing is saying. You know why? Because the words are spirit. 
and they are spiritually discerned. And you need the Holy Spirit to help you to understand the framework through which this is coming. You need to be born again to discern. It is not a textbook. Matter of fact, the, uh, the, the Bible is not a history book, even though it contains history. It's not a science book, even though it contains some science. It is a book from beginning to end about redemption and everything that is connected to God's story of redeeming human beings from their fallen state and restoring them as sons and daughters are contained within its pages. So these words are spirit, and what else, what else are they? They're life. They're life. You wonder why the church is so dead, for the most part. It, could it be that we have disconnected from the very thing that would bring us life? So we need to know what Jesus said on a lot of topics, and today we're going to talk about what Jesus said first. Now, I'm going to give you a little background on this. Um, Jesus said some other things before this passage, but this is Jesus's first sermon. This is his first public pronouncement. Now, he has, he, he, he's, he said a few other things. He's, he's, uh, he's gone through his baptism with uh, John and uh, he has then gone into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights of fasting where he was contending with, with Satan. And uh, we know that he overcame Satan by the word saying, it is written, it is written, it is said. He overcomes Satan. So we learned some things uh, uh, about what Jesus was speaking and saying and his understanding. But the first thing he said publicly when he came out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit is this passage in Luke chapter 4. And this passage in Luke chapter 4 is Jesus after having a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit and a dramatic overcoming 40 days in the desert, he goes the, the place that is supposed to be the most comforting, home. He goes home. Well, where is home? Home is the place where, where he was raised. It was Nazareth. It was Nazareth. And this is where we're going to find out what Jesus said first publicly. Now, within uh, uh, theology, there is something that you need to understand. It's called the law of first mention. The law of first mention says this, that what is said first is of high priority. So when you're interpreting scripture, you look at it and you say, man, what he puts up front is very, very important. So what we need to understand today from Jesus's first sermon, maybe not the greatest sermon or the most popular sermon, that's probably the Sermon on the Mount. His first sermon didn't happen uh, on, the, on the shores of the Galilee. It happened in Nazareth. And we're going to catch up with this in Luke chapter 4 and let's read it together. You can follow along on the Bible app. All the notes will be there. You can add your, your notes um, if, if you like. It says this in verse 16 is where we'll begin. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He's coming out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. 
And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the first message of Jesus. He is going back to his synagogue. Now, what you need to understand is today's synagogues are a lot like our churches. Synagogues were actually formed, though, when the temple had been destroyed. They became uh, uh, synagogues were not only gathering places where they would read from the, the, uh, the Torah, but they were also community centers. This is, this is kind of like the center of Jewish life within a town. So the synagogue is a very, very much a place of influence that they, they did not separate the idea of God being disconnected from community. So the synagogue was a place of of, of, of regular activity. And here we are on the Sabbath and Jesus goes there. Now, in a synagogue, what they would do is they would all read the same passage. So all synagogues who had the, who had the, the scriptures, because many of them had been destroyed, but yet many, uh, some were preserved so now they're all reading the same passage on the same week. So the week that Jesus shows up in the power of the Holy Spirit, the attendant who is holding, it's, by the way, it's not just a Bible. Go and look up chapter and verse and all of that. It's a scroll written on animal skins. Cherished, highly valuable. Only the supremely wealthy would have had one in their home. And most Jews wouldn't do that because they revered it in such a way. Now, they hand him Isaiah. And the reading that week, the first sermon is Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 to a Jew was a messianic prophecy. It was prophesying what Messiah would do, what their Savior would do. And he then begins to read in that passage. It wasn't something, oh, let me just look and, and give a random discourse. It was planned to the day. And matter of fact, other synagogues would have been reading the same passage. It's the same today. All throughout the Jewish world, there will be the same readings on the same weeks. Now, Jesus in this passage highlights three different things that I want to call your attention to. And these are the marks of Jesus's ministry. And I want to give you the end game from the very beginning, the understanding from the very beginning. So let me help you. Now, we as the church are called the body of Okay, let's say that again more convincingly over here, okay? Uh, we as the church are called the body of Christ. 
Oh, so, okay, so Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, is announcing to us in his first sermon what the ministry of Jesus looks like, what the ministry of the Messiah looks like. So I, I, I want to say we are the body of and the body of Christ should have the ministry of Christ. The body of Christ needs to have the ministry of Christ. So what we're about to read now is not only a declaration of who Jesus is, it is who we are to be as the church to a dying world. So the marks of Jesus' ministry, let's grab a hold of a few of these things. First of all, it's very clear. Isaiah 61 says this. The marks of Jesus' ministry, the first mark is the Holy Spirit. It starts with this statement. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, we know that the Spirit is upon him, not just because of his own testimony, but because of John's testimony. John baptized him. John the Baptist is sent by God on a mission, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus comes to be baptized. And this is what John said in John chapter 1, 32 and 34. He says, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he, the spirit, remained upon him, Jesus. I did not know him, but he who sent me, this is God, the spirit of God, who sent me to baptize in water said, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Let me, let me, uh, let me say it this way. The one who made all of Jesus' ministry possible was the Holy Spirit. And we have uh, sometimes embraced uh, uh, the wrong theology that Jesus was walking around on earth in all of the rights he had as the Son of God. He actually wasn't. He actually asked his own, his own, own disciples, who do they say the Son of Man is? He was walking around as the Son of Man, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Why, why is this, this truth so important? Because if Jesus did what he did as the Son of God, you and I will never be qualified to do what he did. But if he did his ministry as the Son of Man, fully anointed by the Holy Spirit, then he is giving to us an example to follow. And he says this, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Let's look at that scripture from John chapter 5. Because the Spirit of God was revealing God's will for his own ministry. It says, then Jesus said and answered, most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the, son, for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. This is so good. This is actually either 
Jesus is regularly being translated from earth to heaven before the Father or, because that's not what's happening, or he is given revelation by the Holy Spirit of exactly what the Father is saying and revealing to do. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, in the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is upon me, I have revelation of what the Father is permitting and calling me to do. And because of that, then I can step into what God has for me. I don't know about you, but anybody ever tried to do ministry in the flesh? And it's just been a failure? Oh, man, I've done that. But when you know that God is behind what you're doing, boy, it's like having wind in your sails. It's fuel in your tank. It makes things possible. Jesus said, listen, the son can do nothing apart from the father. What he was saying was, he says, I can't do anything except that the Holy Spirit is resting on my life, revealing what the Father has called me to do. And church, in this hour, we need a more intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. We need to stop resisting him, stop stepping away, stop, stop second-guessing who the person of the Holy Spirit is. He is God, the Spirit of the Lord. He is the Spirit of the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. We need the Holy Spirit. And I believe in the last days, God is raising up a church that is sensitive to the Spirit, which reveals to us exactly what God is calling us to do. Let me just ask you this question. When is the last time you stood in the mirror and just said what Jesus said here? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Man, I got to tell you, that man, that, that puts some fire in my belly. Just, just saying what Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. You begin to identify with great men of old like Samson. Samson, by the way, was not a hulking man. There is nowhere in the scripture that says, you should have seen the way this dude was sculpted. <laughs> he was a Nazarite. Quite possibly, he was just a normal-looking guy, apart from the long hair and the camel hair he was wearing and the way, the way that he gave himself to the Lord. It was when the Spirit of the Lord God came upon him that he could pull down Philistines. It, 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 you see, when the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, you begin to understand what David was feeling as a young boy running out to the field to confront a Philistine. He would confront the Philistine under the hand of the Lord. He says, I don't come to you with swords. I come to you in the name of the Lord. He's saying, I'm coming to you because the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And we need a church who once again says, I have been marked by Jesus and I'm marked by the spirit of God. We need to welcome God's spirit. Last day's ministry will be full of revelation birth from intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus said in John 14, right before he announced, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, this is what he said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to my Father. Two verses later, he says, I'm sending you the helper. How in the world can we do what Jesus was doing? Here's why. Because the same Spirit rests upon us. We need to hear what Jesus said first. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Church, it is time that we say, Holy Spirit, come and baptize me afresh again. The difference between us and Jesus, he had the Spirit without measure. We have the Spirit with measure. And by the way, when we come together filled with God's spirit, and we come together, we get a greater measure of the spirit. That's why it's so, it's so important that we gather. So the spirit of the Lord God is upon us. You've been anointed for this hour. You're not anointed by your talents, not your gifting, not your education, not how articulate you are. None of that matters if you're not anointed by the spirit of God. And you've got to be You've got to say it. You've got to declare it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Spirit of God is upon me. The second mark of Jesus' ministry that he mentioned first was this it was the preaching of the gospel. And this has to be our ministry as the body of Christ. We have to say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. And then we have to preach the gospel. Notice what it says. It says, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Come on now. If we could just get the church saying what Jesus said, I'm anointed to preach. Come on. I'm glad we got one. I've got one person in here that said, yeah, I'm anointed to preach. And the rest of you, you're white knuckling your seat right now. Say, oh my gosh, that's the last thing I want to do. You know why? Because you haven't been saying what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, I have been anointed to preach. I'm going to ask you a question. You ever been around preaching that wasn't anointed? And don't say last week. <laughs> Dangerous question. I've got a lot of targets to aim at. Yes, sir. Yeah, I can think of it. Yeah. That one was, eh. yeah. You ever been around a, a, a non-anointed preaching? Oh, I have. You know what it looks like? It looks like hate. It looks like preaching motivated by hate. Preaching motivated by hate will never be anointed. And there's preaching motivated by hate right now that's kind of going around. People kind of popularize it, make a YouTube video. It doesn't work. You know what works? Faith working by love. It's anointed preaching. It's anointed. You know what it means to be an anointed preacher? It means to be like Samuel. You know what it said of Samuel? When Samuel became a prophet, when he became a voice in his days, it said none of his words fell to the ground. None of them fell to the ground. You know what that means? Not even his, com he said even his common language, it would penetrate the heart and move the person closer to God. None of his words. It's anointed. Man, I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. 
What are the poor? The poor, is that, is that just to those who are uh, financially, uh, you know, they, they don't have anything? Well, the poor here, uh, actually, uh, it means, it means a, a sense of wretchedness because of your state. Does it include finances? Of course it does. It means that I am in a beggar, beggarly position because of the wretchedness of my state. It also, in that time, if you were, if you were quote unquote, this word, poor, there was shame that was resting all over you. And Jesus comes, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because I am anointed to speak to people who are in spiritual poverty and they are under the weight of shame. He's saying, I am anointed to preach to them and to declare with them, I can bring you into relational equity with God. He said, what's the good news to the poor? Jesus said it himself to a a religious leader who who had finances, but he was without God. His name, Nicodemus. These are the words of Jesus. What's the good news? It says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Son of God. Do you see this? Jesus said, I was not sent to condemn the world. The whole world is already condemned in death. I have been sent in the love of God to redeem all mankind who would believe in me that none should perish. This is good news. This is good news. People preach this from the, uh, the, the backwards way. Will God judge sin? Absolutely. But let me just tell it to you this way. Here's the biblical perspective. Sin is judged. Wrath has come, according to Romans chapter one. The wrath of God is resting on those who are in sin. But do you wanna come out from under that wrath and step into God's blessing and step into his goodness and step into his salvation? Then that is the good news, that there is a way. Isn't God good that in his perfection that he even makes one way when he didn't have to make a way? He made a way. And, and, and those who had encountered Jesus in the first century would, would give us uh, some insight to the, to, the, to the preaching of this anointed gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 and 21. It says, this is what God was doing through the preaching to the poor. This is the marks of Jesus' ministry and the mark of our ministry. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. That means I'm not, I'm not pressing your sins against you. I'm not counting them against you. What's he say? And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, 
to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is Jesus' invitation today, and I stand here as an ambassador for Christ. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus today, be reconciled to God. He won't count your sins against you. Repent and believe, and he'll wash away every guilty stain, and you'll be reconciled to God. You'll know him as Father. You'll know him as the one who loves you. Lastly, today, from this passage, this is, remember, this is first. The marks of Jesus' ministry is supernatural freedom. And this is the part I believe that most believers need to hear. It's supernatural freedom. Verses 18 and 19. It's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. But then he says, and he, speaking of the spirit, has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is so good. This is so powerful. Jesus is saying, my ministry, the ministry that flows from me will be supernatural freedom. It is the ministry of Messiah. Notice the list. Jesus, it says, heal the brokenhearted. In Isaiah 61, in the Hebrew, it says this. He binds the brokenhearted. Let me give you the picture. It is the picture of the heart that has been wounded with the trauma of life. And yet, Yahweh, our physician, comes with his love to heal the traumas of our heart. And he comes in gentleness and he binds up the brokenness that has come because of the enemy and the things that we have faced in this life. He binds up the brokenhearted. The next thing here I want you to, to see is, is that, 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 that there is also uh, not only an emotional healing, but there's a physical healing. He says, I'm, I've come to proclaim the recovery of sight to the blind. How many of you are glad, are glad that Jesus is still a healer today? He is a healer today. He is. You say, how can you be so sure of that? Here's how. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You need to jot that down somewhere. Write it down. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was a healer then, when he walked the hills of Galilee, when he, when he ascended the hills of Jerusalem, and he would open the eyes of the blind in the shadow of the temple, then I want to tell you today, if he was a healer then, he's a healer now. Now. And he comes and he gives recovery of sight to the blind. He still is healing bodies. He's still crushing cancer and he's still bigger than COVID. He is our healer. He's our healer. And Jesus twice in this passage, talking about supernatural freedom, says, proclaims 
liberty. Twice. Anytime God says something twice, you need to really listen. He says, I'm proclaiming liberty. He declares this. The debts of our past are paid. He says, I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, if there were any, like, people who really understood Judaism here, when you heard the acceptable year of the Lord, you would get really excited. I understand that you as a Gentile, when I say to you all of your debts are paid, immediately in your mind, you think spiritual debts. That's amazing. But a Jew is going, my credit cards are getting paid off. Oh, I'll prove it to you. The acceptable year of the Lord and this passage, especially this word liberty, is connected to the year of Jubilee. This word is directly the backdrop of this. This whole scene where he is reading from Isaiah 61 is, is speaking to exiles when they came out of Babylon. And do you know when they came out of Babylon? Jubilee. They came out during Jubilee. And what's Jubilee? Jubilee is the 50th year. And what would happen on the 50th year Say you've been going decades and you had a financial, you were crushed by an economy for some time. And so you had this land and you had to mortgage the land. And the way you mortgage the land is you, you sold it to a friend and you got some money and they had a debt and you were trying to work off that debt so you could get back what rightfully belongs to you. That's what's happening there. And so many people during this time, they, they would do this just because there are things that they encountered in life that left them in a negative position. And Jesus comes along and says, I am proclaiming to you the year of Jubilee, which is a time where all the debts of the past 50 years are canceled and the slate is wiped clean. This is the way it's described in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. And it says, you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. And it shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession. And each of you shall return to his family. He's saying, listen, everything lost in the last 50 years of bad decisions, of, of famine, of pestilence, of things that you were going through, where you, had to, where you had to let go of things, where you lost things because of circumstance. Jubilee is saying, God is saying, you're getting it all back. You're returning to your land. You're returning to the right place. I am bringing you back, back into a place of wholeness. And this is what Jesus said when he said, I am here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This word liberty is in this passage in Leviticus 25. It's jubilee. And I want to tell you, 
Are you, I want to ask today, are you living in the jubilee of Jesus? Are you living in the freedom? Are, are, are you still dealing with the debt of 10 years ago and that terrible decision that you made? Are you still feel like, man, I will always be forever paying off those decisions I made? Not if you know the supernatural freedom that comes along with the ministry of Jesus. He said, I have come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you and I need to get raised up with this same heart. And begin to proclaim it in the same way. I love this word liberty. I almost put up a picture of me and my wife in Philadelphia standing before the Liberty Bell. But it's a terrible picture and my wife would have rebuked me. <laughs> but there we are standing in front of the Liberty Bell. Which is the sound of liberty that original sound that was being released of liberty over this nation. Do you want to guess what scripture is inscribed on the liberty bell? Leviticus 25.10. And you shall return to your land. And your families will return. When that bell would sound, it was the sound of jubilee that was being released over this land. It was the sound of saying Jesus is bringing supernatural freedom to a land. Make no mistake, all of the nonsense that's going forth that says America was not a Christian nation in its founding is hogwash. It's completely turned upside down. Scriptures are everywhere all over Washington, D.C. and marked on the bell that was proclaiming jubilee over this nation. This is what Jesus said. This is what he said. He said, my ministry is marked by supernatural freedom. And I wonder if this church would begin to believe in Jesus again that he wants to bring you freedom in every area. He wants you emotionally free, bound up in your heart. Those, those wounds from the traumas of the past, Jesus said, I'll come and I'll heal them. I'll not only heal your spirit, but I'm going to come and heal your soul. I'm going to set you free emotionally so you'll be free to minister to other people who are so broken. I will set you free in your body. And, and believe me, some of us are carrying the weight of years and years of bad decisions. And Jesus says, I am giving you jubilee. I'm giving you freedom. This is his ministry to us. And it's our ministry to the world. You see, I'm really convinced of this. In the passage, do you love this passage? Jesus just rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant. And then there are details in the Bible that you need to pay attention to. And it says, and he sat down. Huh? Like, why is that there? Why, why is that necessary? He sat down. Like, we don't really need to know that, do we? Unless, in sitting down, or where he sat down, it's saying something about him. You see, it was common in a synagogue to have a stone chair called the seat of Moses. And the seat of Moses would remain empty as a reminder 
that Messiah was coming. And they would read the Torah and see the empty chair and hope and long for deliverance that would come through the only Son of God, through Messiah. Jesus rolled up, and this is my opinion and also people's opinion who are way smarter than me. Rolled up the scroll, gave it back, and sat in the seat. And this is what he said. Today, this begins. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. It's not coming. It starts today. It starts today. The spirit of the Lord God being upon me, it starts today. The anointed preaching of the gospel, it starts today. The liberty to those who are imprisoned, those who are brokenhearted, those who are downtrodden, being ministered to by Messiah. Jesus said, it starts today because I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one. And I want to tell you, church, he's still the one. He's still the one. He's still the one that baptizes us with his spirit so that we can do what he did in greater works. He's still the one that anoints our words as if they were his words. He's still the ones that through your compassion and love will see those who are broken in their emotions be healed. Those who are, who are broken in their bodies be healed. And those who have been oppressed for decades to come out in his perfect jubilee. Yes. This is what he said I just want to ask a question today. Have you been marked by the ministry of Jesus? 